Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. So what is the most important thing in a relationship? To me, it would be, no matter what, always be willing to see it from the other person's side and treat people as if they are doing the best they can. Your marriage matters. Well, good morning, Southside Church in person and Southside Church online. Happy Father's Day. Now, if you are a dad and you are watching here or you've joined us online, I would like to be as bold as to say this, you're already on the right track. So I want to start off today with a story. It happened about four months ago, early on a Sunday morning. Okay, now keep in mind, four months ago, Sunday mornings for me were a lot different than they are now. We didn't have in-person church. There was church online, but as luck would have it, I had recorded my message a couple nights previous. So I woke up early on a Sunday morning with a whole day in front of me. I jumped on my bike after having a big cup of coffee, and I went for a ride. It was a beautiful day for early February, so I just rode and rode and rode and rode for about two and a half hours. I arrived back at home at about 8.30, jumped in the shower, had a shower, and then I grabbed myself a bowl of oatmeal. Now, you got to know about the way I see oatmeal. I really love oatmeal, and I especially love it with brown sugar on it. And what I mean by that is a lot of brown sugar. And if I'm not careful, I can overdo it on the brown sugar. So what I did on this particular morning. What I mean by that is my bowl of oatmeal was equal parts oatmeal and brown sugar. I'm not exaggerating. Okay, so after the bowl of oatmeal, I had a lot of work to do. I worked from home in the morning, and then I jumped on my bike at noon, and I rode to the church. We had a series of meetings, so when I got here, I grabbed another cup of coffee just to give me energy for the afternoon. Um, by the way, I had not had any water to drink at this point of the day. It's kind of important for as the story goes, okay? So I jumped into these meetings, and they were good, but they were intense and quite stressful. And the meetings went on and on and on, and about 2.30 in the afternoon, I realized, man, I haven't eaten since that bowl of oatmeal at 8.30 this morning. I need something to eat, but I couldn't really jump out of the meeting, and someone brought in a box of donuts. Okay, and so the thing is, like, they did what I really don't like when people do this. They cut all the donuts in half, which for me, what that means is I'm going to eat way more donuts than I would have if you would have just left them, because I can justify a half at a time at a time. So I ate about 10 halves, <laughs> five donuts, which, by the way, gave me a great boost of energy. For the next half an hour, I was just, like, handling those beings like crazy. Then I started to wilt, and so someone walked in and said, hey, Mike, do you want a Red Bull? I said, absolutely. So I drank the Red Bull. <clears throat> the meetings went on until about 5.30. I jumped on my bike, rode home. When I got home, I had a big cup of coffee. Still haven't had any water to drink, by the way. And uh, Corinne said, I think we're going to have grilled cheese sandwiches for supper. I said, okay, that's awesome. I'm not really hungry for supper, but I'll go down to the deep freeze and grab you a, a loaf of bread. So I did that. And when I got down there, I noticed that right beside the loaves of bread, there was like a big piece of ice cream cake. Okay, we had celebrated my son beds of getting his license a couple days previous. And I thought, well, I don't really feel like dinner, but I definitely feel like dessert. So I brought up the loaf of bread for Corinne and I ate the big piece of ice cream cake all by myself. Still hadn't had any water to drink on this particular day. So I went to bed, and to say that I felt sick that evening would not really capture what I felt. It, I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. 
Okay, like I felt unwell. And to be honest with you, really scared. Until about two days later, I thought to myself, wait a minute. I think I know what was going on there. I spent an entire day fueling myself on sugar, caffeine, and stress. And shockingly, I didn't feel that great. I moved away from well to unwell. I moved away from healthy to unhealthy. And here's what's weird about it, by the way. I didn't wake up that morning going, you know what I feel like doing? I'm gonna do an experiment and see what it's like to fuel yourself on stress, sugar, and caffeine. It just happened. <laughs> it should be noted, by the way. I think it would be fair to say that I learned my lesson, at least to some degree. I, like, since that day, I don't really eat junk food. Once a week. Once a week, which I'll tell you the story about that a little bit later. I have junk food once a week, okay? Now, I mention all of that because we're in this series about the Ten Commandments. And what I want to suggest to you is that when we read through the Bible, when we look at God's Word, when we look at God's law, when we look at God's commandments, we have to understand that God is saying, I just don't want you to wake up one morning, wake up one week, wake up one year, wake up one decade, and all of a sudden look back and realize, you know what, I never set out to move towards spiritual unwell. I never set out to move towards spiritually unhealthy. It just happened. God says, I got a better plan for you. That you would move towards spiritual wellness and towards spiritual health. Quick time up. I think Dave did an amazing job talking about baptism. And, and I want to talk just a little bit further around the whole topic of baptism, if that's okay. And I have the mic and you don't, so obviously it's going to be just fine. What are you going to say, right? Okay, so... God's power plays out in an environment of faith. I think that's pretty obvious. And, and baptism is the first step of faith that we get to make. Jesus said it this way, believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. So the first step of faith that we get to take as followers of Jesus Christ is to get baptized. And, and God's power plays out in an environment of faith. God's miracles manifest themselves in an environment of now, I bring that up because last week we talked a little bit about the topic of anger. And this week I want to talk a little bit about the topic of marriage. And what I didn't mention last week is that um, when I was 23 years old, Corinne and I looked at each other, we were fairly newly married, and we decided to get baptized. See, and up to that point in my life, I had major problems with anger. And to be completely truthful, up to that point in our marriage, it was pretty tough. And we made the decision to get baptized. And I'm not going to stand up here right now and say everything was easy after that. Of course not. But I would say this, everything was more powerful after that. I began to receive the power to move past my anger. We began to receive the power to move past the rockiness in our relationship. And I would say the same thing to you. Faith, an environment of faith is where we see God's power and God's miracles manifest themselves. So if you have not been Baptized. I'm not saying if you get baptized, everything's going to get easy. What I am saying, it's going to get powerful and purposeful, and you're going to see hope and vision in your life. So whether you are watching online or whether you're here in person right now, I would suggest to you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ for a day, for a week, for decades, and you have not yet been baptized as a believer, so in other words, what I mean by that is that maybe your parents baptized you when you were a little baby or a real small child, and that's awesome, and that was a step of faith by your parents. If you haven't taken that step yourself, I would encourage you to do that. Step out in faith, faith, faith. 
not everything's gonna get easy, but it's gonna get powerful. So if you're online, we're gonna find a way. If, if you're online and in the area, we're gonna celebrate. It's gonna be a party here July 18th. If the restrictions keep going the way that they're gonna go, it is going to be a party July 18th. I cannot wait. If you're from a further distance away, we're gonna find a way to baptize you wherever you're at. Or if you're here and you haven't been baptized, let's step up in faith. Let's do it. Text the keyword DUNK, D-U-N-K, to 604-670-3040. So last week, I told you the sixth commandment. By memory, I told it to you. I memorized Exodus 20:13, and you obviously were blown away, right, Chris? Blown away, absolutely blown away, and I don't blame you. And I kind of got an ego boost by that, so I thought I would try to stay on a roll, and I also memorized the seventh commandment for you, Exodus 20, verse 14. Okay, so last week the commandment was no murder, okay? And this week, I memorized it again, no adultery. Thank you, thank you, I was waiting. Thank you so much, thank you so much. <sighs> thank you. You know what's funny, is last week I say no murder and then I have to kind of qualify it and go, whoa, it's a little more complicated than that. You notice how when I say no adultery, I don't have to qualify it because we already know it's complicated. That in our culture today, the whole topic of sexual faithfulness and sexuality itself is complicated. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard the commandment, no murder. But I'm telling you, if you look at somebody, and then you look again, and then you look again, and that look becomes hostility, and that hostility becomes hatred, you're already guilty. Well, Jesus had something to say about the seventh commandment, too. He said, you've heard the commandment, no adultery. I'm telling you, if you look at somebody, and then you look again, and then you look again, and that look becomes desire, and that desire becomes lust, you're already guilty. I want us to think about that for just a second. That Jesus said that while adultery is consummated physically, it begins with your mind, your will, and your emotions. And I would actually take that a step further. That while adultery is consummated in the body, it impacts the mind, the will, the emotions, and the spirit. Clouds the mind, weakens the will, confuses the emotions, and move us, moves us towards spiritual unwellness and unhealth and defeat. It clouds the mind, it weakens the will, and it confuses our emotions and moves us towards spiritual defeat. Let me explain that further. God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. It doesn't matter your story. I'm telling you unequivocally right now, you are fully and completely and totally loved by the God who spoke the universe into existence and he has a plan for you. A plan that starts today and builds something beautiful tomorrow. Absolute truth. He's got an incredible plan for your life. In John chapter 10, Jesus referred to it as the abundant life, the full life. Well, God, the God who loves you and has a plan for your life, created marriage to be a cornerstone of our culture. In, in, in other words, this whole concept of marriage is supposed to be the foundation of family and love and learning and legacy. 
But while you have a heavenly father who loves you and has an incredible plan for your life, you also have a spiritual enemy named the devil who also has a plan for your life, and that plan is to steal and kill and destroy. You notice the devil can't create anything, but he can steal and kill and destroy. And so his goal for your life and your sexuality and your marriage is to steal and kill and destroy what God wants to build. Think about this. You read the Bible and it says, that the devil, your spiritual enemy, is the father of lies. Well, adultery always takes place in the context of lies. So therefore, in that sense, adultery is cooperating with and inviting the works of the enemy into your life. In the Bible, we read that your heavenly father who loves you and has a plan for your life, he is faithful, completely faithful and yet your enemy is faithless. And the thing about adultery, it all always happens in a context of unfaithfulness. And therefore, in that sense, unfaithfulness is inviting and cooperating with the works of the enemy in your life. The Bible says that God is selfless. Our enemy is selfish. When it comes to adultery, it often takes place in a context of selfish and therefore cooperates with and invites the works of the enemy into your life. God's God, a great plan. And if you don't hear anything else that I say this entire sermon, please hear what I'm about to say. God's plan for your life is a today plan. I really, really want you to hear this. God's plan for your life is a today plan. God's plan is not a yesterday plan. I'm not up here. God didn't draw you here today or online today to beat you up for what happened last night or last year or last decade. That's not God's plan. If you're hearing any sense of regret or condemnation in your life right now, please know that's not God's heart for you. God's plan is a today plan. God's plan is this, that you would begin to make beautiful decisions today to build something beautiful in your life tomorrow. That's the plan. Amen is right. That's our God. He loves you fully and completely and totally right now. And his plan is a today plan. Make great choices today. Build something beautiful tomorrow. So I'm gonna keep this real simple today. I'm gonna give you five clear statements. And I guarantee you, these five statements, if you ask God, he will use each one of these five statements to renew your marriage. If you got a good marriage, you can start moving towards great. Say, well, I got a bad marriage, you can start moving towards good. If you are just hanging by the thinnest of threads, you can start moving towards, you know what? I think we're going to make it. Five simple statements that God could use starting this afternoon in your life. And if you're single, this might be one of the most important sermons you've ever heard. I have an application for singles in every one of these statements that's gonna be powerful for you. So you ready for statement number one? A thumbs up, thank you. Can I get two though? Are you ready for statement number, okay. I'm gonna keep coming back to you every statement. If we could get a little more enthusiastic every statement, that would be amazing. Amazing. Statement number one, don't be forgetful. Don't be forgetful. It's amazing to me how when couples have been married for any length of time, they begin to treat each other worse than they would treat a perfect stranger. Weird, right? And then we open the Bible and the Bible says, husbands respect your wives, wives respect your husbands, and yet sometimes it's hard to see any respect in the marriage relationship. And I gotta be honest and I gotta be personal here for a second. I'm guilty. 
there's times that I don't think I treat Corinne with the sort of respect that she deserves. One of the things that I'm pretty famous for doing is when we're out in a group or when we're hanging out with some friends, she'll start a phrase and I'll know what she's going to say already and so I'll interrupt her and I'll finish it. That's disrespectful. You know why I do it? Because I'm forgetful. A couple months ago, I say to Corinne, oh, it's date night. It's date night. Can we go to Langley? Now, so here's what our date nights have been. Uh, we go get a Dairy Queen blizzard because it's the one time a week that I get junk food. So I look forward to date night for, because I get to hang out with Corinne and I get a Georgia mud fudge blizzard, okay? So, so I say, Corinne, can we do our date night in Langley? She said, you wanna go to Dairy Queen in Langley? I said, I do. And also there's a Tesla dealership in Langley now. And I said, I wonder if we could take a test drive. She said, no. And so then I begged. And she eventually wore down and said, yes, we can take a test drive of a Tesla. So we went there and we test drove a Tesla. We had this awesome sales guy. He, he said, you can take it for an hour. And we jumped in and we ripped around. It was so much fun. It was the first time either of us had been in an electric car. I gave Kern a bit of a sore neck because I didn't realize they accelerate like they do. <clears throat> but we're driving around kind of in the country south of Langley. And I looked at Corinne and I said, man, this reminds me of... And she interrupts, see, sometimes she interrupts me too because she interrupted me and she said, the park from when we were first dating. The park from when we were first dating. I knew exactly what she meant. See, Corinne and I are both from Red Deer, but we met and started dating at Trinity Western University in Langley. And, and, and so we met in early September and it was beautiful weather that year, all the way until um, halfway through October. And so we went on these amazing dates. We went to Cultus Lake and White Rock. But one, one place that we went to over and over again was this park in, in the south of Langley. And we would just go there, sit on the grass and talk. And I remember thinking to myself, this girl is brilliant and creative and thoughtful and articulate. You know, we've been married for 30 years, 30 years. And guess what? She's still brilliant and articulate, and thoughtful, and creative. In fact, I would say more so, that's not faded. What sometimes fades, though, is my appreciation, my gratitude. I forget. One more weird thing about that park. So, middle of October of that year, the, the weather gets bad and we don't go back. The next spring, we go back to look for it. We've never found it back. But while I might forget the location of a park, I don't want to forget. She's brilliant. She's creative. She's thoughtful. She's articulate. So even if I think I know what she's about to say, you know what? I might be wrong. Let her say it. And even if I'm right, man, I just want to lean in and listen to the way that she says it. Don't be forgetful. Application for single people. You should write this down if you're single. Application for single people. If you are dating somebody right now, you need to think that they are brilliant, articulate, thoughtful, and creative. You notice how I didn't say I need to think that? No, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I think. But you, you need to think they are brilliant, articulate, thoughtful, and creative. You should love to spend time with them. And if you're dating them and you don't feel those things about them, then why are you dating them? Because you don't want to be alone? No, that's okay. Find someone who you love to be with. Okay, so statement number one. Don't be forgetful. Do you want to hear statement number two? 
not, I'm up here, I'm doing the heavy lifting here. I'm coming back to you, statement number three. I'm expecting fireworks, fireworks. Statement number two, don't be weak. Don't be weak. I think one of the weakest things that we do in our culture today is we point the finger instead of owning our part. Does that make sense? We place blame rather than taking responsibility. That's really, really weak. We refuse to control the controllables. Me being the primary controllable part of my life. I think it comes from our culture a little bit. Can you imagine if this afternoon you went home and, and, and you turn on the TV or you listen to something on a podcast and a politician came on and said, hey, just wanted to make a quick announcement. Uh, that budget that we came up with last year, terrible. I don't know what we were thinking, to be honest. Real story, we're gonna do better. Or a politician came on and said, you know what, the, the, this whole foreign policy thing that we tried, started trying a couple years ago, yeah, we don't like it at all. We had a plan, it didn't really work out, we're gonna shift it completely. We'll do better in the future. What would happen in our culture? We have something in our world today called the outrage culture. If somebody told the truth like that, there would be mass outrage. And so as a culture, we say this, we just want the truth. But do we? Because when we get it, we're outraged. And here's the heartbreaking thing. It's transferred into our marriages. So we got a whole bunch of married people that are so quick to play the victim card. It's her fault, it's his fault. They place blame rather than take responsibility. They point the finger rather than own their part. The, the most powerful prayer that you could pray for your marriage today is God, please change me and use change me to change this marriage. Make sense? How do you do that? Well, Proverbs 9 verse 10 says it this way. The reverent awe of God. The reverent awe of God is the beginning of wisdom. Man, I love that. You need to be wise to be married. The reverent awe of God is the beginning of wisdom. So if you're watching online, set your calendar. Be back here next week. If you're here, if you're here live, make sure you book. Get back here next week. Make it a priority to come to church, to listen to the music, to listen to the preaching, to be a part of it, to increase, to restore your reverent awe of God. Every day, spend time with God. Open up the Bible. Open up a good devotion book. You said, I don't know of a good devotion book. I do. Corinne wrote one. It's called Wake Up, Walk On. It's incredible. If you've never read it, you should get it, especially in light of what we're walking out of and the incredible world we're walking into in June of 2021. Thirdly, you need to be a part of a group. Oh, that's one thing that these last 16 months have shown me. It's not enough to be a friendly church. We need friends in church, right? We need friends in church. We need other people in our lives that have a reverent awe for God. We, have other we need other people in our lives that have the humility in their life to say, change me, God, and use change me to change this family. Change me, God, and use change me to change this, th this relationship. Change me, God, and use change me to change this marriage. Instead of placing blame, we got to get stronger. We got to start taking responsibility. Now, having said that, there's a lot of different ways that we can take responsibility, and I want to make sure that I'm really clear today, so hear me. When I say take responsibility, it doesn't mean blind self-blame. So, if you're in a relationship today where there is addiction 
or abuse, and you or your children are in danger, you need to take responsibility. How can you do that? You need to get out. You, you, you need to get some distance. And if you need help with that, you can text the church, 604-670-3040. We will help you do that. Taking responsibility is not blind self-blame. If you are in a relationship, or if you are in a marriage where there is abuse or addiction and you or your children are in danger, you need to get some distance. I'm not saying jump out and look for somebody else. I'm saying separation with a goal of restoration one day. But, but, but there is no restoration if you or your children are in danger. That's your next step. That's taking responsibility. I would go a step further, actually. Maybe you're in a marriage and like, you're trying, right? You're saying, God, change me and use, change me to change this marriage. But the, but, but the other person is just years and years and years and years have gone by and nothing's changing. So your wife is working 93 hours a week. Why do I say 93 instead of 95? I don't know, but it's 93 hours. That's how many hours she's working, okay? And she won't stop working that many hours. You don't see her. The kids don't see her. You say, hey, can we get some counseling? Can we work on this? Can, can we make some changes? And year after year after year, she doesn't. And so eventually, the way that you take responsibility is you say, hey, I'm gonna get a little distance. I'm not looking for somebody else, but we need some separation with the goal of restoration. Or your husband has a spending problem, you know? He just spends and spends and spends. He buys golf clubs and then new golf clubs, thinking that's gonna help his game. It's not. He buys a wave runner and then another wave runner and a boat and another boat and then he keeps sports betting, you know? He keeps betting that the Vancouver Canucks are gonna win the Stanley Cup and he's losing all your money. Thank you, thank you, I, I see that, I see that. Um, and now hydro is threatening to turn off your power and it's time for you to go, hey, can we get some counseling? Can we get some financial counseling? Can we get some couples counseling? Can we talk about this? And he says no for year after year. It's time for you to go, hey, I'm gonna take responsibility. I'm gonna get a little distance. Not looking for somebody else, but separation with the goal of restoration. Am I clear? But I would say for a vast majority of people in our culture today, here's the issue. We're so quick to point a finger and so slow to own our part. So, so, so quick to place blame and way too slow to take responsibility. It's a powerful prayer. God, change me. Work on my anger. Work on my pride. Work on my selfishness. And then use change me to change my marriage. Application for single people. If you're dating somebody and nothing is ever their fault, you know what I mean? Well, you got fired. My boss is an idiot. <laughs> you failed that class. My professor was out to get me. You got in a car accident. The tree jumped right in front of me. It was amazing. Just know this, if you marry them, one day you will be the person that they blame for all their problems. Statement number one, don't be forgetful. Statement number two, don't be weak. Do you wanna hear statement number three? Yeah, I do. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know we got four and five still yet, so I mean, leave a little in the tank, okay? But that, that was good. Okay, we're, we're on the right track. Okay, so now I forgot statement number three. Thanks a lot for that. Statement number three, don't be boring. Don't be boring. You know, when you were first dating, it was kind of easy to want to do stuff with him, to want to do stuff with her, and you put all kinds of effort in, but you didn't even really have to try, you know? Well, here's a shocker for you. Like, after you've been married for a little while, it takes some effort to keep working on your relationship. Full disclosure, so that I'm not a hypocrite, I will tell you this, Corinne and I are not what you refer to as extravagant daters, okay? 
So we're not like the hot air balloon people, the bungee jumping couple, we're not. We're not the scuba scuba diving couple or the skydiving couple. We're not the squirrel suit couple, okay? Now, (laughs) if you are, by the way, amazing, go do it. See, for us, what we love to do is we just, well, last week's date night. Last week's date night, we drove to Abbotsford and we got blizzards, yes, and then we, it was a hot, hot afternoon, and then we found a, a shaded parking lot and we, and we just sat down and we ate our blizzards and we talked. We love that. Here's the truth, though. Up until about July of 2020, it had been years since we did that. I got away from it. I, I, could, I could place blame all over the place. Oh, we got six kids, you know, and some of them are in school, and some of them are in university, and some of them are getting married, and there's a lot going on, and the church is growing, and there's greater responsibility, but I dropped the ball. Don't be boring. Don't be boring. Hey, come on. Let's have fun. Marriage is supposed to be fun. Marriage is fun. I love going to get that blizzard. I love hanging out with my wife. I love making it a priority. Application for single people. Now, if you are dating somebody and you don't like any of the same things, to some degree, that's okay. What I mean by that is this. I mean, I like to play sports, okay? Corinne and I don't play sports really well together. We've tried once. A week and a half into our marriage, we tried to play tennis. We have not played sports against each other since that day. That's fine. Okay, that's fine. We, we do other things. We love to hang out. And, and it, it, it's not like every activity has to be like the same. But there should be that, C.S. Lewis called it mythos. Kind of that kindred spirit type thing where you just love to hang out. You like to be with each other, you know? So if you're single and... You're dating somebody and all she ever wants to do is go like bungee jumping and skydiving and squirrel suiting or whatever it's called. And you're just like, I just want to sit by the fire and read a book. But you just feel this peer pressure that she doesn't really like you for you. She just wants somebody to go bungee jumping with. Just think about that. Make sure that there's that mythos. Okay, so statement number one, don't be forgetful. Statement number two, don't be weak. Statement number three, don't be boring. Are you ready for statement number four? Oh, I will. Okay, you're done. She's, she's, she's stay ready for five, stay, okay? I'm coming to you for five. Good though, like great, but I mean next level, okay? Uh, well, <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Uh, statement number four, don't be celibate. Now I get a response from you. Don't, don't, don't be celibate. Uh, God created sex. He created it to be good. He created pleasure. Like God wasn't walking through the Garden of Eden one day and he heard some rustling in the branches and yelled at Adam and Eve to get a room. Okay? <laughs> right? The whole thing is his, his idea. So if, if I could be so strong and say this, like, Married sex is fantastic, and I use that word specifically for a reason. Fantastic. Comes from the root word, fantasy. The Bible says that married sex is fantastic. 
And if you think it's weird to hear a pastor say that, I would suggest you're weird for thinking it's weird. Our culture is weird for thinking that's weird. See, our culture says illicit sex is good sex. Fooling around sex is good sex. Cheating on somebody, sex is good sex. And yet, statistically, we even read that the most happily, uh, oh, sorry, the people that are most happy with their sex life are long-term, committed, married Christians. Here's a problem, though. It's complicated. It's really, really complicated. And in some ways, to be completely truthful with you, um, I, I have people in this room right now, no, sorry, in this building right now, not in this room, and, they're, and what they're doing is they're praying for you. They're praying as I preach this. I ask them to. Because I'm so concerned that we will forget that God's a God of when, when, when? T yesterday? Today. 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 But there's baggage and there's regrets and God says, I want to free you up. I want you to see me as a father who loves you and the plan is a today plan. But we walk into marriage and sometimes there's baggage and sometimes there's regret and sometimes there's like misconceptions and it can be difficult. But here's what I want to tell you about married sex. If it's not great at first, there's really only one way to get better at anything, and that is practice, and there's a lot worse things to practice. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen, thank you. Statement one, not yet, not, I'm going through them first, okay? St statement one, uh, don't be forgetful. Statement number two, don't be weak. Statement number three, don't be boring. Statement number four, don't be celibate. Do you wanna hear statement number five? <laughs> at least you were timely. Statement number five, <laughs> this whole in-person thing, I'm wacky. Okay, so it's so nice to see people. Statement number five, don't give up. Don't give up. It's pretty inspiring. As imagine the people watching this online from all over the place, and even just being in here for these two services, I look around and I see lots of marriages that there was a time when you were just about ready to give up, right? And here you are, and I'm so proud of you. I would say this, don't give up, because I think that often our immediate desires don't track with our deepest desires. Our immediate desires don't track with our deepest desires. So what happens is my immediate desire is to give up, to pull the plug, to move on, to look elsewhere. But what, what, what's your deepest desire? I would suggest to you that your deepest desire is to be a pro promise keeper, that when you said, till death do us part, you really meant it, you know? I would say your deepest desire is probably to be faithful. I would say your deepest desire is to win at the things that are really, really important. Love and legacy and hope and perseverance. It's tough though, because the immediate desires, they're just perpetual. So for me, sometimes I find my immediate desire is to not respect my wife as much as I should. My immediate desire is to interrupt her and finish that statement. My immediate desire is to assume, well, I know, I already know what she's gonna say. And, and sometimes our, our immediate desire can be, it's a lot easier to point the finger than to own my part. My immediate desire is to place the blame rather than take responsibility. My immediate desire can be, well, I'm married now, let's put this thing in cruise control, I don't have to try anymore. That's my immediate desire. 
Maybe your immediate desire is to look at your sex life right now and go, man, this, is, this isn't what I want, this isn't what I was expecting, so I'm gonna look elsewhere. Maybe your immediate desire is to pull the plug. But I think as difficult as it is, if you could just take a second and say, God, please, today, right now, show me what my deepest desires are. How can I make great decisions today that start to begin to build something beautiful tomorrow? See, my deepest desire is that I would respect Corinne, that I would lean in and listen, that even if I think I know what she's gonna say and she says it, I can't wait to hear the way she says it. I think your deepest desire is to be somebody who's willing to own their part, to pray that incredibly powerful, humble prayer. God, change me and you change me to change this marriage. I think your deepest desire is to continue to put effort in, to pursue your spouse, to, to cherish them, to, 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 to love them even more 30 years in than you did three days in. I think your deepest desire is to look at whatever is going on with, with your sex life, and, and even if it's difficult to say, God, you got a you gotta plan, I'm gonna keep trusting you. I think your deepest desire is this. Keep taking one little step at a time. That's your deepest desire. Application for single people. Oh, I skipped one because I was so excited about getting to, uh, okay. So, so I'm gonna give you two applications in one. I don't wanna miss them, okay? So a- application to single people, when it comes to don't be celibate, I would just say this, because it relates to the fifth one too. I would say this, don't buy the lie. God's got a plan. And there's all sorts of voices, all sorts of voices saying, oh, his, his plan's not gonna work. It is, it is, it is. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He's for you. And on that same note, fifth application for single people, don't give up. It's not easy being married in 2021. You know what? It's not easy being single in 2021 either. Don't give up. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. You're beautiful. Single people, you're beautiful. You're loved. You're valuable cherished. You're not forgotten. Don't give up. Don't give up. So as I close today, I actually asked the band to come back because I want us all to kind of close with a prayer. And there's a song that they sang today that I think is just such a beautiful prayer. But before I do that, I want to ask you, how are you doing? Talked all sermon long about the opportunity that God gives us to make beautiful choices today that builds something even more beautiful tomorrow. Well, I wanna ask you just to take a moment and bow your heads and close your eyes. Because I wanna tell you the very best decision, the very best choice that you could make today is to remember and to realize this, that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus and that Jesus died and rose again so that you don't have to live in the past, that you can make great decisions today and build something beautiful tomorrow, one next step at a time, and your first next step, your best next step, your life-changing next step, your destiny-shaping next step today would be this. Jesus, you died for me, you rose again for me, I've never accepted it. Today, I wanna accept what you did, I wanna move past my past, and I wanna start building something beautiful tomorrow, 
and forever. So if that's you, if today is the day that you wanna accept what Jesus did for you, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, could you just raise your hand right now because I wanna pray for you. And if you're online, same thing, maybe wherever you are right now online, maybe just raise your hand if you're bold enough to do that. Nice and high if you don't mind. So I'm going to pray out loud and I ask that you would pray silently along with me. So dear Jesus, thank you. Today I come to you and I'm going to make the best decision that I've ever made. Please be my savior. I give you my regret and my shame and my sin from my past. And I thank you that you take it and you forgive it. And I move on. And thank you, Jesus, that you rose again. So I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you one next step at a time today, tomorrow, and forever. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate that church? So, so, so whether you are here and you raised your hand or you're online and you raised your hand wherever you were at, I just ask you to do one thing for me. Please text the keyword life to 604-670-3040. We want to send you some resources and we want to support you. We want to, we want to walk together into the beautiful of tomorrow and the days to come. So the band played a song earlier, and I didn't do this with the first service, but it just struck me as we were, as we were singing here in the second service, that the, the, that, that song closer, it's a prayer, that, 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 that we just ask God, God, can you come in and can you be close to me? Can you comfort me? Can you give me the strength that I need to be the person to live the life, whether I'm single, whether I'm married, whether I'm young or whether I'm old. So I thought it'd be great if the band could sing and we could together use this closing song as a prayer to God. Does that sound good? So why don't you stand up? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.